Hi, I'm Joe Lovano, and you're listening to Jazz Is Backstage Pass. And I'm your host, Brian Zimmerman. Today's interview is with saxophonist Joe Lovano. He may be best known for his outstanding albums on the label Blue Note Records, which he's called home since the release of Landmarks in 1991. But he's also been a vital presence on the German label ECM. It's a relationship that stems back to 1981, when Lovano first appeared on drummer Paul Motion's album, Psalm. He would go on to perform on albums by ECM luminaries like John Abercrombie, Steve Kuhn, and Mark Johnson. But to this point, he has never recorded an ECM album under his own name. That will all change on January 25th, when ECM releases Trio Tapestry, a new album featuring Lovano in the leader role alongside pianist Marilyn Crispell and drummer Carmen Castaldi. The music is informed by Lovano's passion for the 12-tone technique, a method for composing that involves using a series of all 12 musical tones to avoid the predominance of a single key. Further influences include Lovano's love for world music and jazz. Listeners will hear him play a new reed instrument, the Hungarian Torogato. And once again, he'll be playing his beloved gongs, which he says allows him to create parallel key centers while improvising. We spoke to Lovano about the release of the new album and its significance in his discography. Let's get started. Your relationship with ECM goes back a number of years to the 80s. You did some amazing stuff with Paul Motion, with John Abercrombie, but this is your first leader project, Tree yeah. Tapestry. And I'm real excited about the, this collaboration with ECM and working with Manfred uh, in that, uh, you know, in the direction of uh, my music and my presentations, you know. I mean, I signed with Blue Note Records around 1990, and I had seven, uh, well, I had three seven-record consecutive deals Mm -hmm. that led to even recording five or six off-contract sessions. So I I put out over 25 recordings on Blue Note. Right, yeah. So uh, I had such a great relationship with Bruce Lundvall and was able to document all kinds of music and uh, relationships with people in my life and create an amazing catalog, but also uh, quite a few working band situations, trios, quartets, quintets, my nanette that won a Grammy, and uh, a number of nominations through the years, I think like maybe 14 different Grammy nominations through the years. And um, we had just an amazing relationship. And during that whole period, I was uh, free because of Bruce's passion and uh, awareness of who I was on the scene. He gave me a lot of green lights to take part um, on other dates, you know, with other folks. And uh, I had a great um, opportunity to record for Manfred during that period as well. Not as a leader, but on right. some very significant sessions for me, you know. Um, my first day with, with ECM was with Paul Motion, right. 1981, the record Psalm, yeah. the, the 
Paul Motion Band, which was a quintet with Billy Drews and Ed Schuler, along with Bill Frizzell and myself and Paul. And uh, then documenting the trio with Bill and I and Paul through the years in the 80s was really uh, some amazing, beautiful music. And Bill and I played with Paul for 30 years, from 81 till he passed in 2011. Yeah. And I know he was a major influence on you. Um, and it, well, in, the world, in the world of music, Paul and his that whole crowd, yeah. uh, Ornette Coleman's crowd, uh, Bill Evans' crowd, you know, the, 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 the masters in modern jazz uh, are all of my uh, influences, you know. And, yeah. and coming to New York in the mid-70s and, and having a... Uh, an opportunity to be heard and play and share the music with, with the masters like that, uh, really, you know, not only set me up, it just gave me a strong foundation, uh, to, to build my whole, uh, conception about improvisation and what it really means to create music within the music. You know, I, I love that phrase. I came across that phrase in um, your description of the album in the press notes, and I thought it was so beautiful. Um, I want you to elaborate on that a little bit more, because it really, it stuck out to me. It struck me making music within the music. What does that mean to you? And how would you express that to a curious listener? Well, you know, it's it's taking uh, the information and the material at hand, embracing all aspects of the harmonic rhythmic tapestry, which mm -hmm. is trio tapestry. That's that's the concept behind of, of this trio and that way of playing. And uh, it, it's really in it's it's within the history of jazz. That we could really hear in Miles Davis's music and John Coltrane's music, and, uh, the modern jazz quartet and Dizzy Gillespie and Charlie Parker and the way Bill Evans' trio played. You know, I mean, it's within the 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 fabric of the music. You know, but now we're really like dealing with that today, uh, in the moment of now, with this whole. Um, embrace of the world of music you know not just to play in one style mm -hmm. or you know to try to really feed off of the music that you're into that you're playing when i say into i mean the moment right and uh i tried to write compositions for this date that all had a sound that were coming from a 12 tone idea uh, not just a 12-tone row, but it, like to deal with all 12 and try to reshape within that. So, know? yeah, let's go into that a little bit for the uninitiated, right? Um, someone who is totally new to 12-tone music. Well, how you're would you not it. 12, it's not 12-tone <laughs> music. It's dealing with the 12 tones. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which is in all music. Yeah. It's all music. But now it's now it's really focusing on each each tone and how you use that tone. You know, they're all there. It's all it's all one, you know, but how you play off of that tone and use the undertones and the overtones and and try to create voicings within each pitch. You know, as soon as you play two tones, you're suggesting 
different key, key right thing many things in the music and now it's it's up to you as a player and your um approach to be able to create within that you know and that's what i mean about creating music within the music is to take a line a melodic phrase and to um turn it inside out and uh have it as your foundation and your basis of your idea, but then it's it's just a seed right. to build off of, you know. And it's all about listening. And in a, in this particular trio with Carmen mm-hmm. and Marilyn and myself, we're all playing from that uh, idea. So we're in we're inside each other's uh, music, you know. Uh, and you know, Carmen plays the drums. He, he doesn't just play the drums as a drum set. Hmm. The bass drum is an instrument. The sun, it's the snare, thing, yeah. The cymbals are instruments. The hi-hat's an instrument. So he has the range of a piano. And, and Marilyn is playing the piano. I'm playing the tenor saxophone and gongs, accompanying right. myself at times with, with tones and pitches. It's like my gongs are like the left hand of the piano. And the tenor saxophone is the right hand of the piano. Mm. Look at it like that. I'm accompanying myself with harmonies and and colors when I strike the different gongs that are accompanying my uh, ideas on the saxophone uh, in in conjunction, you know, with each other, like as one, you know. So mm. when we play as a trio, we're all exploring the percussive harmonic, melodic uh, ideas at, at, with, a, with a oneness. Beautiful, beautiful. And that, that to me is like, uh, that's what playing free, you know, I don't, I don't say free jazz. I play jazz free. Hmm. <laughs> so we're creating within the jazz world an idiom, but we're free inside it to uh, be expressive. You know, with within the music, you know, I tried to write pieces that that gave that uh, it was like they were like springboards into that. You know? Nice. Yeah. I mean, they're beautiful compositions and, you know, the personnel on this album. I mean, Marilyn, uh, beautiful player. Carmen, like you say, treats that drum set like an orchestra, like a piano. Um, now, Marilyn, you've played with before, I know, but have you recorded with her? We've never recorded together. Okay, yeah. So tell me about the decision to reach out to her for this, your first ECM leader recording. Well, we had had some really beautiful moments playing together with, actually with Paul Motion and Mark Elias on bass uh, and and Marilyn. They had a trio for a while that was happening, and I sat in and then played a a concert with them a few years ago at, uh, at Columbia. Nice. That was probably at least... 15 years ago or so. Uh, but then through the years of just knowing her and hearing her in situations brought us together. Nice. She stuck with, you know, my band, Us Five. Sure. If you've heard that group, uh, there, was, there was one week at the Vanguard. Uh, I guess it was early on in the band that James Weidman couldn't make that week and Marilyn played with us and that was really fun with her and Esperanza together in the double drummer band um 
And then, then just, uh, you know, leading to this date, uh, my contract ended with, with blue note. I think my last session that came out was live at Newport with Hank Jones. Right. Sure. George Mraz and, and, uh, Lewis Nash. We had just come back from a tour, I think around 2006 and I had this concert recorded. I was in between dates with blue note, so they couldn't put it out. But I had it in the can, okay. and it was something that Bruce loved, this recording. And it was probably in his, uh, you know, his idea to put it out at some point. But I was in the middle of other dates, you know, at that time with us five and with my non-ed and other groups, you know. Right. So I had it in the can, and then um, it was the last release that ended up coming out on my contract for Don Waz after Bruce had passed. Right. You know? I think it might have come out in 2013 or 14. Yeah, I want to say it was about three, four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so so I was uh, in between things, but I was looking looking forward and, and I felt like something could happen with ECM. And I was just giving it a little time to just some breathing room and uh, – I played a few concerts with Carmen and Marilyn in that period. Mm -hmm. And we did one where we just improvised. I didn't have any themes. We just played. And the whole idea of that was I was I tra I, I, I played a bunch of different horns, bass clarinet, soprano, mezzo-soprano, uh, tenor saxophone, you know. Um, and every time I switched horns became a new movement in the composition. Cool. Okay. So we, we had a couple of really beautiful concerts and I put a little sup, something together from it and sent it to Manfred just to hear some music, you know, yeah, to hear some things I was doing with an idea of doing a trio session with Carmen and, uh, and Marilyn, you know, and Marilyn lives in Woodstock, New York near me. And, um, we we played together as a duo in a few sessions also and uh, put some ideas together too you know but uh anyway that led to uh Manfred really loving what we did and uh there it is we moved into this session you know beautiful, beautiful. yeah it came from a very organic place and then once i knew what we were going to record that's when i started to really write specific ideas that would give us springboards into those ideas, those uh, improvisational, spontaneous moments. Nice. You know? And I know also in terms of writing, you know, you mentioned 12-tone being an interest, and I know you, you developed a lot of that interest through your study with Gunther Schuller. Um, exactly. and, and I've once read that you described your study with Gunther as being touched by an angel. Well, and it was also a collaboration, too, because uh, I was, you know, you, you're in the study, man. You're studying things all the time. <laughs> I mean, I didn't really, like, let's say, take formal kind of lessons with Gunther, but everything was a lesson, you yeah. know? Listening to the, to the early things he did, uh, jazz abstractions and, uh, and other music that he had documented, and then actually meeting him in the early 70s mm -hmm. when I was in Berkeley, he was president of, at uh, New England Conservatory, um, starting and, and to play with Ed Schuler, 
his son on bass and going to New England and playing some sessions there. That's when Gunther really first heard me play and, and uh, then invited me to take part in some projects with him that led me to call him for my recording Rush Hour mm-hmm. uh, on Blue Note Records. And it was in the maybe early 90s. It was one of maybe my third third or fourth session for Blue Note and uh, was with full strings and a woodwind ensemble and voice. Uh, my wife, Judy Silvano, mm-hmm. he wrote her within the orchestra and uh, I had a chance to really put some music together of my originals plus his. He wrote about 40 minutes of the music. I think the recording, well, or, or let's say 40% of the recording and i I contributed 20% of the compositions and things. And uh, that project was like uh, really something, man. Going to his pad and playing duo with him, looking at some of the things he wrote for me. Um, And he really wrote in a 12-tone row. Sure. You know, and that whole study, man, like opened up all kind of avenues for. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask how he kind of impacted your understanding of music. Um, well, you know, I mean, Gunther as an as a, a composer had a sound. Hmm. Okay, and uh, it's like Wayne Shorter as a composer has a sound. Yeah, Billy Strayhorn has a sound. Unmistakable. It made yeah. me think like. Wow, you know, something you, you know, uh, the sound is in the music, is in the approach, you know, and like as as a saxophone player, you know, you're always talking about your sound and trying to find a sound. It's not just the tone, it's your approach on the instrument, it's your approach in music, your ideas and concepts about rhythm and melody and dynamics and uh, so many elements are involved in creating a sound. Sure. Then all of a sudden, when you have a composer that writes with a sound, I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> you don't encounter that. Right. With the, with the composer. Like, you could play Horace Silver's music. There's a sound, you know? Uh, you play McCoy Tyner's music, man. There's a sound in that music. You know, not and and I've, I've had the f- great fortune to actually play with McCoy a lot and uh, encounter Horace through the years. You know, and uh, Paul Motion had a sound in his music. Totally. Now Bill and I, and Paul also gave us freedom to create within that. You know, but but that you know for both Bill and I, I think that was a big springboard into all of the projects that we've put together and gave us a lot of confidence and trust about all of that, you know, playing with Charlie Hayden also, uh, was a part of the liberation music orchestra right, right. with Dewey and, uh, Paul, Mick Goodrick, and, uh, Carla Blaze music has a sound. All people with just unmistakable voices, you know, identity. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, for me, that, that's been my study my whole life, you know, and encountering being a part of some of those groups, you know, uh, gave me a lot of ideas and confidence right. to be a leader. And Bruce Lundvall gave me a uh, really 
a beautiful green light to explore all these things, you beautiful. know? Yeah, because it's not the kind of thing you read about in a textbook, you know? That's not that kind of study. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know? And it's yeah. what I try to bring when I address a forum of students, you know? Those the, those ideas. And, uh, and Manfred was someone for me that really embraces all of that, you know? And uh, I, I always felt it was a matter of time that I was going to collaborate and do something with ECM. And I'm really happy that it's happening right now at this period in my development um, because I'll, I have now another avenue of expression to, uh, to fuel my ideas, you know, and to grow, you know. It's yeah. a growing experience when you play with different folks like that all yeah, the time. Well. It, we're we're certainly glad that you connected with ECM. It's a beautiful record. I just have just a few more follow-ups, uh, you know, pertaining to the record itself. Mm -hmm. You mentioned gongs, and your kind of experimentation uh, with gongs goes back a little ways. Mm -hmm. How did you first um, kind of begin to kind of really, really pour yourself into the, the understanding of gongs, studying gongs, playing gongs? Um, why do you find them so musically compelling? Well... There's a there's a few different uh, answers. Like my first European tour was with the Woody Herman Band, nineteen mm -hmm, right. seventy seven, yeah. and we went to London and played at Ronnie Scott's. And uh, I took a walk one day and I went to this amazing Oriental music shop. It's called Rayman's Music, and it was kind of in the area in Soho near Ronnie Scott's. Cool, and. Uh, I bought my first gongs there, a couple gongs. And I also bought a Chinese musette that Dewey Redmond plays. Yeah, sure. Okay, it's like a double reed. Lee, yeah, yeah. Zing instrument that has a call, <laughs> you know, which, uh, which, which I was really into the Keith Jarrett Quartet with Dewey and Paul and Charlie. This was uh, before I met Paul. And, uh, and, so I got I got one of these musettes also, you know. Anyway, I started to start a collection of uh, instruments from around the world. All of my tours, I've I've uh, really sought out flutes and different different instruments, and the gongs just became something that I totally uh, was captured by, you know, like. And I set up, I had a, a loft in New York City where I could really play and do some things. I started to set them up and just having them hang when I would practice on saxophone, the vibrations would sing out tones. Mm, you'd get some harmonics, yeah. Yeah. So I'd be playing and these gongs would be ringing without me even touching <laughs> them, right? Just from the vibrations from the saxophone. Yeah, yeah. Then I picked up a mallet in my right hand and I started to play rhythm, rhythm and tonalities on these different pitches. And um, as I was playing the saxophone, okay, this was in the mid '80s. That led to my first record on Soul Note. My first record as a leader was called Tones, Shapes, and Colors, mm -hmm. and it had Kenny Werner, Dennis Irwin, and Mel Lewis on the record. Yeah, that we recorded live in New York. Uh, so anyway, I wrote a piece. I was working on this idea now with the gongs for a few, oh, about five years or a little more, you know, from the late 70s. 
I wrote a piece specific uh, to, to play so I could make takes on it, you know, with certain melodies on the horn and certain hits on the gongs and that would suggest certain tonalities and keys and pitches, you know. That was the beginning of this whole study. And uh, through the years, I've documented a few moments. But then this piece, uh, One Time In, that's on Trio Tapestry, it's, it's the first track of the recording, is a, is a piece that I wrote uh, with specific hits and melodies that were, were there, but then I uh, extrapolated on them, you know, uh, to create this piece that if I, I could make takes on it. I wasn't just playing random. Uh, right. I was playing a piece that was scored out and uh, following it. You know, yeah, yeah, and, and it, it it turned out to be uh, something really special. You know, that was actually captured on a video. Um, oh, nice! So people will be able to Mike, see it. Michael Kelly uh, came and and documented some of the date, and he actually captured this that take. So Very we cool. actually watch it being played. You know. <laughs> In the Oh, um, I hope we get to see that too. I know you've also got on this album. I got to make sure I'm saying it right. A Hungarian tarogato. The tarogato, yes, this instrument. Cool. Is this a new instrument in your arsenal? Well, um, I, I acquired this horn around 2003. It's from Hungary. I got it in Budapest on a tour with the Saxophone Summit with Mike Brecker and Dave Liedman and myself. We were on tour in Europe and we played in Budapest and Dave had a friend that brought all these instruments to the sound check, like a whole table with all these flutes and this Terragato was there. Cool. And uh, it's an instrument I've known about forever, you know, but but never really saw one or had one in my hands that, that was uh, really playable and beautiful, you know? Yeah. Uh, they stopped manufacturing these at the beginning of World War II, in the early 40s. Uh, the factories were burnt down, and uh, that was it. But it's a, it's, a, it's a folk instrument in a way. Um, it's half clarinet and half saxophone. Hmm. So your, your left hand is like a saxophone fingering. The right hand is Albert System clarinet. And it's like a soprano in range, right, okay. it looks like a wooden soprano. <laughs> Comes apart like a clarinet with open holes. Sure. Okay? Wow. A few little keys. My horn is from the late 30s. And uh, it's just a beautiful, magical horn, man. Yeah, it's it, got a very cool sound. Oh, man, the gypsies in Romania and, and Hungary and, uh, you know, the eastern countries, uh, that's that was there. That's that's an important sound in in the music. The music that Bartok heard as a kid and all that <laughs> was on Torregato. Coming out of <laughs> gypsies, you know the way they played. Man. Yeah. And um, through the years, there's been some folks that have played. Peter Brotzman plays one. Charles Lloyd has been playing and and expressing some beautiful music on it. Uh, so I've been I've been uh, studying this horn since then. 2003, I think, is when that tour was. Very cool. And I wrote some music to play on it. You know, I'm not trying to play like Hungarian folk music. I'm trying to play some soul music from my soul. Love it. And that horn has a beautiful spirit in it. 
just the way it's made, you know, with the open holes and you can bend tones and do do different things on it, you know. Um, I'm just Very expressive. A, yeah, and you you just sound magnificent on it. Um, well, thank and like you. I say, Joe, it's, it's an incredible record. Um, and, you know, you coming from, like you said, that Blue Note background, um, I think you're going to introduce a lot of people to sounds they wouldn't have otherwise heard. You know, um, you're a bridge really into some beautiful, beautiful stuff and um, very happy to see that you finally have your leader record on ECM, man. It's, it's incredible. Thank you so much, man. Thanks to Joe Lovano for taking part in this conversation and also to Tina Pelican from ECM who made this interview possible. The theme music for Jazz's Backstage Pass is pianist Emmett Cohen's folk song from his album Master's Legacy Series, Volume 1. To hear more episodes of Jazz's Backstage Pass, visit jazzes.com slash podcast. By the way, if you like how Jazz's sounds, you're going to love how it looks and feels. Become a print subscriber today by visiting our website and clicking subscribe. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. <laughs>